Well, it's good to be back with you guys this weekend. As, as you know, we're starting a brand new series. We're calling Lessons from a Quarantine. And unless you've been living in a cave over the last few months, you know they have been absolutely crazy. I mean, the impact of this virus, COVID-19, it's impacted us physically, emotionally, uh, financially, relationally. There's all kinds of fear. There's all kinds of tension, anxiety. There's conflict. Uh, in fact, I always think it's funny when I'm watching TV and all the commercials uh, today that are trying to sell us something, they always end with, hey, remember, we're in this together. And it's a nice little thing to add at the end of the commercial. feels good about the fact we're in this together. The problem is it's just not true. We are not in this together. We may be going through this together, but I'm telling you, there is no way as a nation, as a people, that we are in this together. I'm telling you, there's part of our country want to open up, want to return to normal. There's part of our country. We want to stay at home. We want to be safe. In fact, even in our church, if I were to announce that next weekend we're going to open our campuses at Hope Community Church, about 50% of our congregation, their heads would explode. Yet at the same time, if I were to say we're not going to open up until we have a vaccine, well, the other 50% of the heads would explode. I mean, there's just a mess out there. There's a lot of conflict. And by the way, next week I'm going to be addressing that when I talk about conflict. You know, what are some biblical perspectives on conflict? Because the reality is this. We are going to get through this virus. We're going to come out the other side. I'm concerned that we're not going to come out the other side as friends. I'm concerned that we may not be loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we're going to talk about that next weekend. But you know what? Once again, this pandemic uh, raises the question that comes back to the surface every time in our world we go through something bad like that. And, and the question is always this, where is God in all of this chaos? You know, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Uh, if God is good, if he's powerful, why doesn't God step in and stop things like this? And I always think it's interesting because it seems like every time something bad happens in our world, our first tendency is to point a finger at God. We blame God for everything. But this is what's interesting. People often, when we go through something like this, something bad, they will come to the conclusion in their life, well, if these kinds of bad things can happen, I don't believe there's a God. But when we go through these bad things, no one ever comes to the conclusion, you know what, I think there may be a Satan. No, we always blame God. We always point our finger at God. But this is what I want you to understand. Every time something like this happens, every time one of these events occur, it forces us to ask the preeminent question, not where is God or how could God, not even is there a God. The question we should be asking, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, is who is God? I mean, who is this that we're actually dealing with? Because when I take what I learned in Sunday school about God, okay, I grew up in church, that God is loving, that God is kind, that God is just, that he's merciful, that he's full of compassion, and I lay it over an event, say, like COVID-19, or say a school shooting, or an act of terrorism, or an act of racism, honestly, often they don't line up. And I'm left with a, with, with a choice. See, I can, either, I can either decide that I am going to maintain my faith in a God you know, that someone else told me existed, or I can come to the more disturbing but yet realistic conclusion that perhaps the God that I've believed in doesn't exist. And that may be true. That may be true in your life. In fact, you may have a version of God that you've created in your mind that doesn't exist. You came up with your idea of God. You, you gave him a frame to work within, a parameter. And as long as he stays within the parameters, within the boundaries, you're okay with that. But if he operates outside of that, see, you come to the conclusion, maybe there isn't of God. Well, the reality is this. 
it's very, very possible that your version of God doesn't exist. But that doesn't mean that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. Because, see, if you're a Christian, if you've read the Bible, you know that from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible, God has often used calamity, disaster, disease, war to get people to ask the very same question I'm trying to get you to ask this weekend, who is this God that we're dealing with? I mean, think about it. In the story of Noah, God used a flood. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God used a fire. In the story of the prophet Elijah and the nation of Israel, God used a seven-year drought. In the story of Joel, the prophet, God used locusts. In the story of Moses and Pharaoh, remember that, the 10 plagues, until Pharaoh finally got to the point where he's like, Moses, get your people and your God out of here. What had happened? Well, Pharaoh realized what kind of God he was dealing with. You can even see it in the New Testament with the centurion. Remember the centurion who oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus? Remember he was there that day and he was part of it? What happened at three o'clock in the afternoon, right in the middle of the afternoon? Well, it was about that time that God put on Jesus the sins of all mankind. And when that happened, the father had to look away from his son as he bore the sins of all the world. But something interesting happened. Remember, the whole world became dark. It was as if God flipped the switch and the sun shut off. And then there was an earthquake, a massive earthquake. I mean, we got, we got buildings crumbling and graves opening up and tombs opening up. And finally, I don't know how long it lasted, but finally the ground stopped shaking and finally God turned the sun back on. And the centurion, do you remember what his response was? He says, wow, truly, surely, this is the son of God. My point is he realized who he was dealing with. And we may not like it, and we may not be comfortable with it, but you got to understand, sometimes this is how God operates. But see, that still doesn't answer the question, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil in the world? Well, the answer to that question, it's found in the very first book of the Bible. It's found in the book of Genesis. And in this ancient story about creation, we find some insights that allow us to begin to piece together why things happen in our lives, things happen in our society, things happen in our world that we don't understand. And in the midst of this story about creation, God reminds us of the kind of God that we're dealing with. And so what I want to do is I want to read some of these verses out of Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to notice the theme that comes out of these verses. Let's start with Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. How about this, Genesis chapter one, verse nine. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teem and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Are you seeing a theme? Are you seeing a pattern here? Verse 24, 
And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And then God creates the crown jewel of his creation when you get to verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us, and that's the first reference in the Bible to the Trinity. It's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then Jesus, uh, God appraises his whole creation. When you get to verse 31, he says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, I read all that to point this out. When God created the earth, understand, he created it just exactly the way that he wanted it to be. But see, not only that, not only did he create it the way he wanted it to be, he actually created it the way that we want it to be. He created it good. Which brings up the question, what happened? I mean, how is it possible that things could go from being so good to being so bad? Why is it that nature doesn't cooperate? Why is it that mankind doesn't behave the way we know mankind should behave? Why do we have to go through pandemics like Spanish flu, AIDS, COVID-19? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil in the world? Well, you know what? There's a couple of theological answers to that question that I want to give you this week. And here's the first one. Pain and suffering are the result of original sin. And when we talk about original sin, we're talking about the fact that each one of us is born with a sin nature that we got from Adam and Eve. In other words, they passed down that spiritual DNA to us. Think about it. We just read in Genesis chapter one that when God created everything, it was good. It was perfect. When God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect. And then God created a perfect environment for them to live in, the Garden of Eden. And God says, I want you to live here and I want you to enjoy it. So we have humanity that is perfect. We have an environment that is perfect. And God says this, you enjoy it, and I only have one rule. How cool would that be to have one rule, right? We just came off the Ten Commandments, right? And they seem so heavy. Imagine having just one rule. It's almost like God said, I'm only going to give you one rule. Can you just obey one rule? And you see the rule in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Meaning this. Meaning, if you disobey me, immediately you're going to die spiritually. In other words, our relationship, God says, with mankind, there's going to be a separation. But not only that, you're going to begin the process of dying physically. Think about this. Adam and Eve would have never died if they had never disobeyed. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that Adam and Eve, they they ignored God's warning. They ate the fruit of the tree. And in that moment, everything changed, and everything changed because the moment that they disobeyed God for the very first time, think about this, sin infiltrated the bloodstream of the human race. And as a result, ever since then, 
Every one of us, we are born with a sin nature. And if you don't believe that, have you noticed that you don't have to teach your child how to sin? You don't have to teach your child how to be bad. You don't have to teach your child how to disobey. I'm telling you, I've got a two-year-old grandson. His name is Judah. I mean, he's darn near perfect, I'll be honest with you. And part of the reason is his middle name is Michael. It took forever, but I finally got a grandson named after me, right? And I love this kid, and I tell you, when he comes to our house, we often take the grandkids one, one night a week. When he comes to our house, I, he loves to play outside. So I'll take him outside, and I don't care how much we do, you are not going to wear him down. I mean, he just goes 100 miles an hour. He loves being outside. But, you know, eventually you have to go back in, maybe to take a bath, maybe to have dinner, whatever, right? And when I tell Judah it's time to go inside, often he'll ignore me, or he may take off running in the opposite direction, and I will catch him, and when I grab his hand, he will just like lay out in the grass or lay out in the street or the sidewalk, and I'm telling you, there's weeping, and there's wailing, and there's gnashing of teeth. Why? Nobody had to teach him that. He was born with a sin nature. See, and when I was in the first grade, Miss Umpstead, my first grade teacher, she didn't say, hey, make sure you're here tomorrow, because we're going to have, we're going to learn how to lie and steal and cheat. See, teachers didn't have to do that. Our parents don't have to do that. Sin and disobedience in our lives, it comes naturally. We are born that way. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. By the way, original sin, this idea of original sin, it also helps us understand how we just automatically, naturally know what is good and bad. See, for example, we know that thousands and thousands of people being killed by a virus that's not the same as me killing thousands of fire ants in my backyard. It explains why our faith in God's not shaken when a murder wasp dies, whatever that is. By, by the way, maybe God is opening the seals of Revelation, right? But see, our faith in God, it's not shaken when a, when, a, when, when a murder wasp dies. But you know what? Our faith in God is often shaken when an innocent child dies. It explains why we can watch a video like the video that came out of Minneapolis this past week. And there's just naturally something inside of us that says, that's not right. See, that, that ought not to be taking place. That ought not be. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It goes back to them disobeying God and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, it explains how we know how things could be. And we know how things should be. And it drives us absolutely crazy that things don't work out that way. It's the knowledge of good and evil. But you have to also understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, God not only gave them the knowledge of good and evil that we live with to this day, God did what any good God would do. God judged sin. And I think we're often quick to be judgmental of God and to accuse God of, of overreacting and overjudging Adam and Eve when they sinned. But I'm telling you, if he had done anything less, he wouldn't be a good God. He wouldn't be a fair God. He wouldn't be a just God. Think of it this way. You ever been to the grocery store or maybe Walmart? We've all been to Walmart lately, right? You ever been like in Walmart and there's a parent, let's say a mom there, and, and they have a child, maybe the child's three or four years old, and, and, and the, the, the child just isn't behaving, right? The mom has the child in the cart, 
trying to control the child, contain the child, but the child's disrespectful, is rude to the parent, talking back to mom. Maybe mom put some, you know, from Frosted Flakes in the cart, but the kid wants, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios, so takes the Frosted Flakes and throws them out. And you're sitting there watching this, right? You're sitting there watching, and the parent does nothing to try to discipline the child, to make the child behave, right? Do you ever look at that parent and think, wow, that is such a good loving parent. No. You know what you're thinking? Do something to that child. Discipline that child. Don't let that child get away from you. Well, think of it this way. What would you think about a God whose prized creation (laughs) disobeyed the only one rule he gave them? And then he did nothing about it. Would you say, wow, that's a good God? No, you couldn't say that. But see, we, 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 we expect God to just ignore bad behavior. God couldn't ignore it. He had to judge it. So let me show you how it played out in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, God passes judgment on humanity. And this is what it says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Understand, that's part of the curse. I'm thinking up to this point, childbirth would have been like a day at the spa. You know, a massage, a facial, I mean, all the great things. But now, God says it's going to be very, 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 very painful. It's part of the curse. But, hey, it gets worse. It says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, let me just say, men read that. You know what men think? She wants me. She can't live without me. Well, if there's one thing we've learned during COVID-19, yes, she can. And for a long, long time, right? But, see, that's not what the verse means. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. It's interesting, this Hebrew word that's translated desire, it means to be independent from. It means to dominate. This is what it's saying. It's saying, ladies, you're going to do everything you can to dominate him, but he's going to dominate you. doesn't say that God's happy about it. It's certainly not the way that God planned it to be. God says it's part of the curse. I mean, think of all the tension in our society. Think of all the tension in our culture between men and women, injustice, inequality, the abuse that takes place. You can trace it all right back here to Genesis chapter 3. This is where it all began. And then he says in verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit from the tree, ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from, cursed is the ground. Now think environment, because it's more than just the ground when you look at the Hebrew word. And Adam's like, you're, you're, you're going to curse my environment? And God's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to curse your environment. I'm going to curse the earth. I'm going to curse the ground. I'm going to curse the weather. It's all cursed because of you. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the way, this explains why you never have to plant, water, or fertilize a weed. See? It explains why it drives you crazy because you know how your lawn could be and you know how your lawn should be, but you just can't get it that way. I mean, you work and work and work and pretty much everything dies but the weeds. If you're like me, that's just kind of the way it is, see? And it's because you're working with cursed ground. That's why it takes so much effort, so much time, so much money to try to have a nice lawn. It's cursed, verse 18. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, the dust you are to du- for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So this is what God is saying to man. 
because you disobeyed me, your environment is cursed. Up until this point, your environment has cooperated with you, but from here on out, it is gonna be an uphill battle. From here on out, it's gonna be a struggle every day of your life. It's gonna work against you. It's gonna be your enemy. Now, because of your disobedience, you're gonna experience things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, droughts, floods, pandemics. And not only that, you're gonna work and work and work. You're gonna struggle and struggle and struggle. You're gonna put in 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You're gonna save enough money to finally retire. And then you're gonna die and you're gonna return to dust again. How's that for good news, right? And so understand, God curses the man. God curses his environment. And we have been living in the backwash of this ever since. It's all the result of original sin. Reason number two. Pain and suffering are the result of man's freedom to choose. Now, let me try to explain what I mean by that. According to the Bible, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to be in a relationship with him. In fact, he created Adam and Eve in a relationship with him. Adam and Eve didn't have to do anything to be in a relationship with God. They didn't have to understand the Romans road. They didn't have to pray the sinner's prayer. They didn't have to go to confirmation classes. They didn't even have to be baptized. When they were created, they were already in a relationship with God. But this is what's interesting. Just like with us. See, we don't want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to be in a relationship with us. We don't want to be in a relationship with someone who feels like they have to be in a relationship with us. And when it came to our relationship with God, God felt the very same way. And so God knew that for there to be a real, honest, authentic relationship between God and mankind, that God had to give man the freedom to choose, I want to be in a relationship, or he could choose, I don't want to be in the relationship. In other words, God had to give man free will. And my guess is this. My guess is that when God made that decision, Maybe the angels that were surrounding the throne in heaven were going, whoa, 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 God, wait a second. Let's really think that through because if you give man the freedom to reject you, if you give man free will, God, you are giving them the power to create unimaginable evil. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And we live with the consequences of that evil every day of our lives lives. War, racism, hatred, terrorism, human trafficking. See, but in spite of the fact that God knew mankind would abuse this gift of freedom, guess what? God gave it to us anyway. Why would he do that? Because see, that's how much God values. That's how much God desires being in a true, authentic relationship with us. And as God measured the disastrous potential of that decision, he gave us the choice. He gave us the freedom to either choose to be in a relationship with him or we had the freedom to reject being in a relationship with him. By the way, when you think about it, we kind of make the same decision every time we decide to have children in our home, whether it's naturally or maybe it's through adoption. I mean, when that child arrives, if you remember those days, you, you automatically love that child unconditionally. That child hasn't, doesn't have to do anything to earn your love. You already love them unconditionally, unconditionally. But understand, with that unconditional love all co also comes uh, the opportunity, the potential for unimaginable pain. 
But I don't think most parents, before they decide to have children, sit around and think about the negative potential of having that child. I don't think most parents sit around and, and think, well, you know what? Before we do this, let's think about this. They could die. And that could cause us incredible pain. Or they might be rebellious. And that could cause us incredible pain. Or they might get into drugs. Or, or, or they might get into gangs. There's a lot of bad stuff that could happen. Let's not have any kids, right? Now, that may happen from time to time. But do you know what, you know what most of us decide? We decide, you know what? It's worth the risk. It's worth the potential joy that can come out of the relationship with the child being in our home. And you have to understand that God had the same dilemma when he created mankind. God said, listen, I'm going to give them the freedom to choose because that's how much I value. That's how much I desire authentic relationship. And God came to the conclusion, you know what, it's, it's worth the risk. So God gave man the opportunity not to choose him because God knew that that's the only way that there could be authentic relationship between us and him. So I want you to understand something. God could very, very easily stop all the evil in the world. God could very, very easily stop racism. You know, there have been 63 million babies that have been killed in America since 1973, Roe versus Wade. God could very easily stop that if he wanted to. God could very easily stop all the wars, all the terrorism, all the school shootings. God could very easily stop all the human trafficking. All God would have to do is this. Just tell us all to line up and to turn in our freedom card. To which most of us would respond. Well, wait a second, God. You, you misunderstood me. I don't want you to take away my freedom. I want you to take away their freedom. Take away their freedom to cause war. Take away their freedom to be racist. Take away their freedom to plunder and rape and murder and steal. God, don't take away my freedom, but my point is simply this. Most of us, if we're honest, we're not interested in giving up our freedom of choice. In fact, my guess is none of us would. And as much as we want to blame God for all the evil and the pain and the suffering in the world, I want you to understand that God didn't create evil and God didn't create pain, and God didn't create suffering, but he did create the potential for evil and pain and suffering when he gave us what we, what we prize the most, when he gave us our freedom to choose. Do you know what the moral of the story is? It's this. God is good. You need to understand that's the kind of God that we're dealing with. God is good. Here's the problem. Mankind isn't. And if you think in those moments when maybe there's an earthquake or maybe there's a hurricane or maybe there's a pandemic like COVID-19, it strikes. If you're thinking things like, God, you went too far, you, you overjudged, you overreacted when Adam and Eve sinned. It's because, see, we've underestimated the significance of our sin and our disobedience in the face of a good God. Think about this. Who loved humanity enough to create a perfect environment for us and then he gave us the freedom to screw it all up. 
And I don't like preaching messages like this because I know that this is not an emotionally satisfying message. This is not one of those that we finish and you have the warm fuzzies. I get that. But I want you to understand this. It's true. It's true. It's kind of like you going to the doctor and the doctor saying, I've got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is that you have a life-threatening disease. The good news is I'm telling you the truth. Well, if that happens at your doctor's office, your question for your doctor is the same question that you have in response to a message like this. So you've told me what my problem is, and you've told me that it's true. My question is this, doctor, can you do something about it? Do you have a solution to my problem? What I've told you about God (laughs) and about humanity and mankind It's true, and it's bad, and we have a sin nature. But what you want to know is, is there a solution? Well, this is what's interesting. From the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God began to put his plan of redemption into action. I mean, let's go back to the garden. Do you remember the scene? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They immediately realized that they were naked. They were ashamed. So what did they do? They hid themselves. And then later on in the story, it says that God came looking for them in the cool of the day, and he called out, Adam, where are you? By the way, he wasn't asking them where they are. In the Hebrew, it's, why are you where you are? You've never hidden. You've always been here to welcome me. Why are you hiding from me today? And you may remember that Adam and Eve says, we realized we were naked, and we were ashamed, and we hid ourselves. And God's like, oh, man, did you obey the one, disobey the one rule? And they're like, yeah. But do you remember what God did? He took an animal and he killed it. And he skinned the animal. And and maybe you've just read over that as as you've read the story of creation. But let me tell you what was going on. It was kind of like when you go to the movies and the coming attractions. This in Genesis, this is like a preview of a coming attraction. God skinned the animal and he covered, he made garments and he covered their shame. He covered their sin. This is what it was saying. For mankind to be atoned for, for sins to be forgiven, for our shame to be covered, something's going to have to die. Blood is going to be shed. And that's the gospel. That's why 2,000 years ago, God sent us a Savior, right? To shed his blood, to pay for our sins, Think about this, so that we could be restored and reconciled back into a relationship with God, just so you know we were created for. And if you've never responded, if you've never taken advantage of a Savior so that you could be reconciled back to God, I'm going to tell you something. You live with a God-sized void in your life. And you will spend your entire life trying to fill up that void. But I promise you this right now, God is the only one who can fill that void And Jesus Christ died to make it possible. But I will also tell you this. Outside of that, outside the gospel, there there, there is no solution. There is no solution. But that's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but you get to experience eternal life. We created the problem God came up with the solution. Now, here's the reality. Just like we've talked about this weekend, you have a free will. You have a free choice. 
You can choose to accept God's gift of salvation made possible through Jesus Christ, or you can choose to reject God's gift of salvation. But understand, the ball is in your court. But don't blame God. Because what I want you to understand is the God that we're dealing with is a God who loved us so much. He created us in a perfect world. We screwed it up, and he immediately came up with a plan to restore us back into a relationship with him. He's a good God. He's a good God. And he's done all the work he can possibly do for you to have your sin taken care of, for you to be restored back into a relationship with him. But the beautiful thing is you get to decide whether you want to accept that gift or not. Father, we thank you that as complicated as these theological issues sometimes are, and as easy as it is for us to sometimes point our finger at you and blame you, the reality is, is from day one, you have been in a relentless pursuit of a relationship with each one of us. It's the epic story of the Bible. It's a love story of your pursuit of mankind, not to judge us, but to bring us home where we belong. I pray for all of those that may be tuning in this week and maybe they've never seen you, Father, from this perspective. And may they realize for the first time just what kind of God that they're dealing with. A loving God, but yet a just God who had to judge sin, but yet at the same time loved us so much that you made a way back for us. I pray that we will respond to your grace and your love today. And Father, even as we have seen in this story of creation, the world that you created, how much you did for us, may we worship you and love you for the God that you are. And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name, who makes all of this possible.